0: Take your Bibles and turn to Haggai chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2. And we're going to be, and actually in the last three verses of, that, of this book, and if you read it this week, you probably were thinking, gee, Greg, what are you going to pull out of this, right? Because um, there's some things going on here that, that don't always make clear sense, but there's some, there's some really neat things that are taking place here. And first of all, is that God has made a promise to his people. Now I know in the prophecy here that it's a prophecy whereby Haggai is speaking to Zerubbabel at the time. But he's talking about things in which the the nation of Israel was hoping for and entrusting God with. And as well, we too, as we would look back. So if you will, take your Bibles in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 20. I hope you know how to find it by now. But in verse 20, just read with me. We're going to read these three verses. Said the word of the Lord. Came a second time to Haggai on the twenty-fourth day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and say, saying, "I am about to shake the heavens and the earth, and to overthrow the throne of uh, the, overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother." Verse 23, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shetel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Just to remind you of the context of Haggai, we remember if you go back a few weeks ago, we looked in chapter one, and, and in chapter one, Haggai came to God's people and he challenged them to consider their ways. And he was asking them to consider their ways because God's people had been in captivity for 70 years. And they were brought back now to build the temple. And in the first two years back, they were with excitement, ready to build the temple. They laid the foundation, but they faced great opposition and they quit building on the temple. And now it's 16 years later, and Haggai shows up on the scene and God sends him for a message to his people. And he challenges them to consider their ways that while they spend their time building their, their, in the luxury of their personal th- houses and their personal things, that in that luxury, they were, forgetting, they were forgetting the temple of God, the temple that represented God's presence and God's blessing among the people. They had become so involved in their own lives that they left the temple of God to lay in ruins. And so God challenges them, and if you look at the end of chapter one, there, there, was, a, there was God moving among his people, and they begin to build. And we walk into chapter two, and in chapter two, we see, we see where they're, they're building, but now they're discouraged, because now it's been about a couple months later, and now they're all discouraged, because they're looking back, and they're remembering the temple of Solomon, this, this beautiful temple built in gold and silver and bronze. It was amazing, and they're looking at what they're building, and they're going, it's 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 nowhere near. And they were growing discouraged and they were ready to give up. And God tells them, hey, I am with you. And we looked at that week how so many times even in our own lives we grow discouraged when we begin to look at other things and we start evaluating by what others have or other circumstances and we begin to grow discouraged in those situations. But when we bring our eyes back to who God is, when we set our eyes on him, It runs away the discouragement because we find that we're his people and we walk after him and we seek him. And then we saw, not last week, but two weeks ago, we saw that God really cares about the heart of his people. He talked about the very condition and, and he talked about holiness and sinfulness. It was a very difficult message to be honest with you. Because none of us like to talk about our inadequacies or our iniquities or our shortcomings before God. But God cares about the condition of our hearts. He raises us up to be a holy people, a holy nation. And if we ever think in any way that we can somehow call God God and that we're his children and to live differently, there's got to be a conflict there. There's got to be an issue. And God addressed that with his people his own people, as they were now building the temple and they were walking in obedience after God. And and he says, I will bless you. The very last words of that message, I will bless you. And so we walk into our passage today. And actually, this is the second time when it says there in verse 20, the second time that the word of the Lord came to Haggai. It's literally the same day. The last message you heard where he was talking about holiness and the condition of their heart. This is the same message on the same day. Or the same, it's a different message on the same day. Let me correct that. And so what happened is, is now he pulls bulb to the side and he begins to, to say some things to rubble. And there's three things I want us to see out of today. Now, if I'm talking really fast today, um, I really was... Um, and this is going to scare some of you, please don't run out of the room right now, okay? But, but I was, I'm really pushing two sermons into one, okay? So hopefully, um, hopefully if I talk really, really, really fast, I get them all really done, really quick, right? Or else y'all are just going to burn the pot roast at home. Folks at home, they'll just be able to go turn it down to warm, I guess. But nevertheless, we'll, we'll, we'll survive through this, I promise. But there's three things I want us to see. Number one, I want to see God's promise. You see, where there's promise... There's faith. Think about that. It's by faith I believe what God will do what he said he'd do in regards to my salvation. That what Jesus did on on the cross through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, I take that by faith. That Jesus said, I will come again, I take that by faith. And where there is faith, there's hope. Confident expectation that God will complete that which he said he would do. And so when God comes to to Zerubbabel here and he speaks to him, he's given him a promise. And look, if you will, he says in two words here in verse 21, he says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit about the shaking and all that here in a minute. Verse 22, he says, I am about This is something where God's saying to to Zerubbabel, and really it impacts all of Israel and Judah. It impacts the people of God. God is saying, I'm about to do something. And he's saying it to his people. It's a reminder that we are the people of God. And I think when I hear about the promises of God, and I begin to think about his promises, I realize how important it is that I really dwell on them. I find that in my life in this year of 2020 and all of the terms I've heard this year called in this last year, good and bad, right? That all those things, I find that my attitude towards this year really dictates how how I look out for the Lord. How I set my eyes on him, on his promises and his purposes. You see, I need to marinate in my life. The promises of God. God is about to do something here. And he's talking to a people who have been struggling. They've been struggling for 70 years. They were in captivity. They had came back with excitement, convinced that surely we've got God on our side. And they begin to build the temple and there was opposition and they give up and they grow discouraged. And it's 16 years later. And now God's just confronted them and told them to get back to the work. And they grew discouraged, and God deals with sin in their life and holiness in their life, and they've responded. And God says, Look, I'm about to do something. The promises of God, because He doesn't forget His people. If you've heard me preach and you've heard me speak or teach, there's a phrase that I love to use, and I use it over and over and over again it's that we are the people of God. I'll say, dear people of God. Why? Because I'm pleading with you, not as, not as members of Mansfield Bible Church, not as attenders of Mansfield Bible Church, not as people part of this church, but as people who are God's people. I'm very adamant about that. I'm very passionate about that because I believe it's based on the truth of God's word. Now, today I don't have any slides, so I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles or in your phones. I guess some of you have phones, right? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. First, first Peter chapter 2. I want to take some moments here. And I want, to, I want to drive home this idea that we are God's people. As God is promising through to Haggai, to Zerubbabel, and ultimately to Israel, I want you to understand that the terminologies that Peter brings out here as he's speaking to Christians who have been scattered abroad because of persecution, they're scattered over the land. And he's writing this letter to, the, to those believers that have been scattered abroad. In fact, in the last part of verse 1, he talks about this word is good news that we preach to. He's talking about this imperishable living word of God that their faith has been based on. It's not perishable. It's not going to end. It's imperishable. When you receive Christ into your life and you trust God's word, You are trusting an imperishable truth, a living truth. You are not just reading a book that has good wisdom in it. You're not reading a history account. You are reading the living word of God. It is full of truth. And it's to these people that Peter is writing in chapter 2 that he wants them to understand who they are. And it's because of this truth, he begins in verse two, he says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Now look, guys, I'm going to be doing some reading today, so hang in there, put the seat belts on, whatever you have to do to hang on. In verse two, he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. He's talking about our sanctification, about us growing in Christ. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Isn't it interesting? He says put away things like malice and deceit and slander and envy and hypocrisy. You know why? Because when you embrace yourself in those things, it takes away your your desire for the milk of the pureness of the word of God. Think about that. Think about it. We are to be like a newborn baby who desires that, that milk, that nutrition. We're to be desiring this. We're being put into our life. What did Jesus say? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, right? We are God's people. He goes on in verse 4 and it says, as you come to him, the him there is referring to Jesus. I know that by context, Look what it says, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Think about this for a moment. Because Jesus is the cornerstone and the builders, the, and he's referring here really to the Jewish leaders and those people of those days, they rejected that which they thought was not true and God said, no, this is, the, this is the truth, this is my chosen the precious, it's the cornerstone by which everything's being built up. And you, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, housing the spiritual, spirit of God in our own lives. Oh, a priesthood, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to go to, to before God, you wanted to deal with unrighteousness, you went through a priest. And you hope that God would accept your sacrifice. But through Jesus, God accepts our sacrifices. When we set ourselves upon him, we go to him directly and we plead with him. Before I walked into this room today, I plead with God. Please, please let me not do this in my own stream. Please, God, speak to your people. Please lift up your people that they may know that, you are, that they are God's people, that they are his people. I pleaded with him this week. How could I do that through Jesus Christ? And I can offer to him spiritual sacrifices, sacrifices of my life and service to him. And he goes on and he says, for it stands in scriptures, verse six, behold, I am lying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him, listen to this. Listen to what it says. It will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. Do you believe? Hmm? You will not be shamed. Why? Because Jesus is our living stone. He's our cornerstone in which we build ourselves. And he says in verse 7, so the honor is for for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, that which they considered as worthless. God said, no, this is my cornerstone. And to those who didn't believe, it became a a stumbling block, a a rock of offense. In fact, it went on and says they stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to. It's not saying they're destined to disobey the word. What it means is that if you Reject the truth of God's word. You know what's going to happen? You're going to stumble. You're destined to it. You're destined to it. And that's why this is so important in your life. I don't know, what What do you do for a living? What do you do in your life? You know what the most important thing is? The truth of God's word. Are you in business? It's the truth of God's word. Are you in a negotiation and sales? The truth of God's word. Are you, are you a mom? The truth of God's word. You're a teacher, truth of God's word. Law enforcement, truth of God's word. Do you believe that? It is the living, active word of God. It's what binds us together in truth. It's what pulls us as believers as to one. And he goes on, he says, look, now I'm gonna get really excited, folks, so hang on to me. I know we're pretty conservative and reserved in our church, and sometimes I get a little out of hand, and you know, I get. You know, sometimes I get messages about it, but just, you're just gonna hang in there, okay? Just deal with it. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Do you see that, dear people of God? Do you see that? You are a chosen people. A royal, not just a priesthood, a royal priesthood. Why? Because you're part of the family of God. A people of his own possession. I like the old King James. I think it's there where it uses the word peculiar. Meaning God's own and only his, his own people. You're his people. Look what he goes on and he says. He says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. He has made you his own people. Why? So that you can just, you know, have it good in this world and everything works out your way. So you can go to work and the car never breaks down. You never have to worry about what's in the bank account. Don't have to face sickness. No, it doesn't say that. You know what it says? That you might proclaim the excellencies of our king. The excellencies of the everlasting God, who from everlasting to everlasting is all powerful and full of majesty and glory. He is he, and him alone is the king of kings. And we get to proclaim the excellencies of that truth because we are his people. And then right here, people, verse 10. People of God, don't miss this. Once you were not a people, but now you are what? What does it say? God's people. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have received grace. Does that not get you excited? We're not walking in here looking for commonalities, dear people, God. The commonality is the spirit of God that dwells within us and makes us his people. Does that not uplift you? I don't know what happened to you this week. We're last week, we're over the last month, and maybe you've been struggling, but you know what? You're God's people. Now look back in Haggai, go back to Haggai, because in Haggai, not only does he talk about the promise of what he's about to do, but he also talks about his servant. If you go down in verse 23, he says, on that day it declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shittil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. That word of my servant really is is kind of a term of making reference to the divinic line. You see, when captivity took place, there there was uncertainty. Here the people have been in captivity for 70 years, the temple's laying in ruins. Does God still care? God had made this promise of a Messiah that would come through the line of David. Is he still gonna do that? Is he still going to accomplish that? And, and God's coming here through Haggai with this message to Zerubbabel. And in Zerubbabel's line, yes, because his grandfather, he was related in the line of David. And he says, you, you, my servant. And it also kind of reminds him of the, the messianic line that seemed to be interrupted by the, the exile is, is still online, And then he uses this term, Sidnik ring. It's a symbol of honor and authority and power. It's kind of comparable to like, like wearing the crown, the one who possessed it, possessed the power of the king himself. You see, when, when Haggai was prophesizing this to Zerubbabel, it wasn't that it was ending with Zerubbabel, he was looking past to the one and the only that could fulfill this, to Jesus Christ himself, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is the Lord of Lord and the king of kings, the one who is the living water, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the one who is and is and is and will be the holy lamb of God, the great I am. There is only one like that. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is our king. And Jesus, may you come. May you come soon. May you come. Jesus, the one who laid down his life, who did not think it was something, the equality with God, something to grasp and to hang on to, but he took on the form of the servant like the the, uh, likeness of sinful flesh. He humbled himself. He became obedient even to a death on the cross. And God highly exalted him above every name and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You can read about it in Philippians. And if our Lord did not think equality with God was something to grasp and to hang on to, but at, rather became obedient, you know, one of the interesting things is right there in Philippians 2, in verse 5, it says, to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It doesn't say which was in Christ, which is yours in Christ. And the picture is is that as Christ humbled himself and he he gave these things, he became obedient, we too, what are those things in our lives? Let me ask you that question. What's keeping you from total surrender to Jesus Christ in your walk? Is it greed? Accomplishment? Is it hate? Bitterness? Are you bitter about something that's keeping you from just Surrendering yourself completely to God. Self-centeredness that excludes God out of your life and only pulls him in when you feel necessary. What is it? Whatever it is, you just take it and you crush it. You throw it to the ground. You throw it out of your life. Because there's no one like Jesus. There's no one. There's no one else that I can think of who is worthy of my praise and my honor and my complete surrender other than Jesus Christ. That should be an amen, by the way. I don't, haven't been doing that a whole lot. but Dear people of God, your heart should be moved to remind us of the fact that who Jesus is, that there is no one like him and no one greater, for he is the chosen one of God. And you know what? He's all-powerful. He's all powerful. Look in, look in the text when God is talking here to, through Haggai to Zerubbabel. And he says back in verse 21, I am about to shake the heavens. Look at that. I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. And look at the other word, to overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the the strength of kingdoms of of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. Maybe that's an allusion to when God was delivering Israel out of Egypt and everyone by the sword of his brother, maybe in the battles of Gideon. You could read about those in the Old Testament. I just want you to notice for a moment in in the conversation there of the totality of God's power. the certainty of his power and his supremacy. Think about it. God isn't wandering around going, man, what am I gonna do next? He's looking off and he knows he's gonna do something and he promises and you know what? We're waiting for that day. We're waiting for that day. He says on here, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, we looked at it a few weeks back, three or four weeks back. It's the only time that the book of Haggai is quoted in the New Testament where it talks about God shaking the nations. And then chapter 12, and really verses 25 or 26 through 29, it talks about shaking the nations. And the only thing that remains is the eternal kingdom of God. And you know what it says right there? Be thankful that you're part of that kingdom. Be thankful you're part of that kingdom. Because he says here in verse 23, he says, On that day... On that day, some would think, say this is maybe the day of the Lord. In 2 Peter, I know it talks about the day of the Lord being from, from the rapture to the millennial kingdom. Some might think that it's also the day of, of judgment right before the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom is the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. If you think about it, you go back to that to that time when Revelation 19, and here comes Jesus in all of his power. Have you read it lately? You need to... Write it down. Go read it this week. Read it this afternoon when you get home. Some of you are probably going to read it now. <laughs> Revelation 19, you know what happens? Our Lord comes on a white horse, full of majesty and glory and power. It says his eyes are like, like eyes of fire, blazing fire. Like from his mouth a sword. I think it's just his words. And the nations turn to do battle with the Lamb of God. And you know what happens? He speaks a word. You think our Lord is all powerful? Yes, he is. I think God is powerful in that day when Jesus comes. You know, in that day, I want you to understand something. In that day when Jesus comes, you know the only thing that's gonna matter is Jesus. All those things that you're worried about right now, all those things you're building into, all those things you're trying to accomplish and and to attain, in that day, you know what's going to matter? It's not going to matter your title. It's not going to matter your bank account. It's not going to matter what you've built. It's not going to matter the friends you have or your popularity. There's only one thing going to matter, and that's Jesus. And where are you with Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus into your life? That He and He alone is your salvation, not because how many times you walk through a door, or what you put in in an offering, or what you accomplish, but that Jesus and Jesus alone. Your faith in Him. Have you have you placed your faith in Him? See, in that day, that's all that's going to matter. You see, in that day when Jesus comes, it's the same power that when creation took place and the Word was spoken, and guess what? There was light. And he breathed into the nostrils of man and there was life. The same power that when God brought his people out of of Egypt and they came up to a sea and 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 the waters were separated. When the mouths of lions were shut, that same power that overcame darkness that when our adversary tried to hold him into the grave and there was nothing that could hold him into the grave and he rose from the dead and he's alive anymore, evermore, that same power when Jesus said, take heart, he told his church, you take heart for I have overcome the world. And the light, Jesus is the light of the world and the light shined into the darkness. And you know what happened? The darkness did not overcome it. That's the Lord that we serve. He's all-powerful and he's full of glory and he's full of majesty. And even though there was builders who rejected him as a cornerstone, God said he's chosen and he's my precious cornerstone and he built up into him from him a living house and each one of us is living stones. The people of God. Amen, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. To God be the glory, dear people of God. He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful, and my Jesus is coming again. I still remember that guy I worked with, and he was a former NFL player, and we were putting in um, sprinkler systems. He had muscle on top of muscle on top of... His ears had muscles, you know? He was just this massive guy. And I would share Christ to him. His, his degree he got a master's in philosophy, which I loved because I loved talking that kind of stuff with him. But I was always sharing Christ with him, and I never... I never, forget, I never forget the day when he, when he would come to me and he said, Greg, he said, Greg, everything's been the same from the beginning. Where is Jesus? Where is he coming? And I, I never forget. I looked at him. His name was Sam. I said, Sam, do you know the Bible talks about you? It says it will be in the last days. There will be people. There will be mockers. There will be those who, who would disagree and they'll say the same thing, what you just said. And I remember I brought my Bible the next day to show him. And he was so silent. You're so silent. Because the truth of God's word is from everlasting to everlasting. Let us not think that it's humanity that somehow we can outthink an eternal, infinite God. That somehow we have a better understanding, a better perspective of life and, and the, how things go together. We put together our ideas of science and we think that we're something, and when we're nothing without Christ, We still are on the course of condemnation except by the grace of God and the mercy of our God. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So many times I think the church of God responds so weakly and out of fear to the world around us because we forget about the power of our God. Especially this year. I know we need comfort I know we need, we need to be helped along. I understand that. But we also need to remember the God that we serve, that he is all-powerful. And how do I respond And all of these things are going on? I told you I was putting two messages together, right? Just to turn over to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, I'm going to close there. And Luke chapter 21, it's really a shorter version of Matthew 24, 25. talking about the disciples were asking Jesus, when will these things be? And I just want to point out a few things that Jesus tells them about those times. In chapter 21 of Luke, he says, and when you hear of wars and, and disturbances, do not be troubled or terrified, for these things must first take place. Think about that, dear people of God. When we see things going wrong, we think everything's coming apart. And Jesus is saying, when you start seeing these things happen, just know that they're going to happen. They must happen. They must take place. He goes on in verse 10. He says, then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilence. Many of you have heard these verses before. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven but before all this they will lay their hands on you and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you you will be brought before the kings and the governors for my name's sake but here's where i want you to see look at verse 13 this will be your what opportunity to bear witness this will be your opportunity to bear witness things are going like crazy around us but this is our opportunity This is our opportunity to bear witness of the love of God and the grace of God and the message of good news. We don't need to run in fear. Jesus is coming again. He will shake the heavens and the earth. He will bring about his kingdom. In fact, verse 14 says, settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of, you, none of your adversaries will abide, uh, be able to uh, withstand or correct, contradict. I, I want to make sure you understand this doesn't mean we shouldn't be good students of God's word. What it means is in the face of opposition, God will give you exactly what you need and the words that you need. In fact, he goes on and he describes several things, and there's some dispensational ideas here, and you have the tribulation going on and different things, but I think there's still words to be encouraged by, If you look down to verse 25, it says, And then there will be signs in the suns and the moon and stars and on the earth, distress of the nations and perplexity because of the, listen to this, roaring of the seas and the waves, people feigning with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. (laughs) We're starting to see some of that, aren't we? And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power, in great glory there's going to be a time when Jesus Jesus is coming again dear people of God. But look what he says in verse 20. Now when these things now notice it's not saying when these things happen, it says when these things begin to ha- to take place <laughs> straighten up. Raise up your head because your redemption is drawing near. Dear people of God, we're not a people of fear. We're not a people of fear. Not a people of anxiety. We're people who know what's coming. Raise up your head. Straighten up. Our redemption is coming. And so when Jesus said in the following verses, he said, you'd look at the tree where the blossoms on the fig tree and when you see them, you know summer's coming. So when you see these things, that's what he says in verse 20, uh, 31. So when, so also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Now listen to his warning. I'm going to close with this. Verse 34, Jesus says, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. And literally the idea there is wasteful living and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What happened to go back to, to Haggai? What happened to Judah? They faced opposition and they quit, they quit building the temple. They got weighed down with the cares of this life and they began to put panels on their houses. They began to build their houses. They began to do all of those things. And they forgot the work of God. Dear people of God, don't get so wrapped up in the cares of this world that you miss, or that that day would come upon you suddenly. You need to take a look at your life. What is it in your life that is keeping you from totally selling out? What is holding you back? What is keeping you from seeking God and his kingdom and his righteousness and nothing else? Like a newborn baby who who thirsts for his mother's milk, what is keeping you from thirsting after God? And his righteousness. Throw it out. Crush it. Destroy it. Get rid of it. Do not let it destroy you. Let's pray. Dear God. I pray, Father, that your spirit would just continue to move. I know, Father, that five weeks ago or whatever, six weeks ago, I had no idea the messages that you would be speaking into my own heart, my own life, and the impact it would have. And I pray, God, for those that are here this morning, those that are listening online, that, Father, there's this, your spirit would just, would just move. God, don't let us shut down your spirit when he's knocking on our, our hearts about something and he's, and he's touching some area of our life. Let us not dismiss it, God. Let us take those things that are keeping us from, from seeking after you completely, Father. Let us, let us destroy them and throw them to the side. Father, guard our hearts that we may not be entangled in this world to the place that we don't even recognize you in our daily activities. That, Father, it's not from a Sunday to a Sunday religion, but it's an everyday moment-by-moment relationship with, the, with our almighty God. God. Please move your spirit among us. Purify your people, God. Move in them and motivate them, Father God, just that we would not be a people walking in darkness, but a people that walks in the light of the truth of your word, a people that are certain about your promises, people that are certain about your son, the the chosen and precious cornerstone, a people that understand your power, God, your everlasting power. And that, Father, we take rest and peace there. It's in Jesus' name, amen.